Welcome to Tech Alpharetta's podcast series, Driving Innovation. I'm Karen Cashin, CEO of Tech Alpharetta. I'm here today with Adwait Joshi, who is CEO and founder of Data Sears, and uh, both a serial entrepreneur and a startup success story. Adwait, welcome. Thank you. It's great to have you here and, and great to see you. It's great to be with you. Yes. Uh, tell us a little bit, if you will, about Data Sears. Data Sears is the company that you started just before joining our Tech Alpharetta Innovation Center and uh, ultimately joined here, I think, in early 2018. Is that right? Right. That's right. So we started in 2017, March of 2017. I know uh, entrepreneurs have an idea. They just go all out at it, right? That's the way to do it. So I started the business, uh, did not look back, and uh, we needed space at the time. So we came here, we started uh, for a few months, and we grew out of it really quickly, if you remember. Yes, you did. And, and we have been growing time. out of all of our office space. Yes, <laughs> so. yes. So I think it was a nine months. You guys still hold the record for the quickest graduation story for outgrowing our space here at the center. You moved into commercial space at that time in uh, Alpharetta, I believe. Yes, correct? we are off of Windward Parkway. Okay. And we're out of that space now, so we are probably going to move. And you, So you've outgrown that space as well? We have, we have. But you're going to stay in Alpharetta? We are, absolutely. That's Excellent. our commitment to Alpharetta. So Excellent. We'll so what is it about Alpharetta that you find is an attractive place to start and run a business? I think it's a combination of a lot of things. There is good office space available. There is good retail. There is good living. Uh, it's, it's quality of life. I mean, I personally live up here, and most of our uh, people do. It's just the openness. Uh, I like the people here. Uh, the mayor has done a phenomenal job uh, to make you know this as a tech hub, this tech Alpharetta. It's pretty much everything here, so you don't miss going to town for really anything. Right, right. It really has it all. Yep, it does. Great. And how did you first find our innovation center, our tech startup incubator here? That's an interesting question. So I have, uh, I think back in the day when it first opened, there were a lot of events that happened and a lot of news came. You guys should go check it out. You guys should go check it out. And if I, if I remember right, we were looking at a space for a very specific reason at the time because we were trying to do an H-1B. And in order to have an H-1B, you had to have office space, right? And we didn't want to go to town. Uh, although we are members of ATDC, we didn't want an office to be in town because that's too far for everybody. Right. And so this became the default choice. And we said, okay, let's see what this is about and, you know, how can we grow out of here? So it was a great experience. And did you feel like uh, being a member of the incubator helped you as you grew your company? It does. It did. Absolutely did. I mean, it's the conversations you have with other folks. It's the interaction that you have uh, with the board members, with people visiting the events. It all drives innovation. Right? It all drives a thought process. Yeah, ab absolutely. I think it's a real necessity uh, for startups to be part of a community like this. Absolutely. If not this one. So you have described yourself as a serial entrepreneur. When did you start your first company? <laughs> My first company actually started uh, when I was 15 years old. People actually, 15, people ask me, a lot of people know me as Eddie, and they ask me, why Eddie? It's actually my first uh, company was named AD's Computers, oh, okay. uh, AD for Advait. And uh, it was a summer when I learned C++, and I told my mom that I wanted to buy a computer, and computers were expensive back in the day, and I was in India, and it was not a common thing to have. And so I made a deal that if you buy me a computer, I'll earn my way on it. And she was like, how are you going to earn money off of this? So we started a business. We were helping my professors then, my, my school professors, digitize their notes that they were doing. So private tuitions are huge in India. So you go to school just to attend and have an attendance sheet, but you really learn in private tuitions. Okay. 
So they used to give handwritten notes, and I just went to them and said, this is so silly, you guys have to write it and then make a copy of it, and some people understand your handwriting, some people don't, you make mistakes, things change. So I was able to convince them that this needed to be digitized. And so I printed books for them. So we used to do copyright work on, on books and type it all up and create uh, literally textbooks for all the professors. So every single one of my professor was my client back then. <laughs> so you really fine-tuned uh, your customer pitches at age 15. Exactly, exactly. And, and of course, it had to come to a stop because uh, I was pursuing my engineering. And at some point of time, you know, studies and education comes in the way of business. And I wanted to make sure that I didn't leave track of my education. So, you know, I had to sunset it and then came here. Right. Did you employ any family members in your first company? I did, actually. My mom was an employee. And if you ask her... she will tell you that I was the worst boss because I would come home from school and the work would not be done. And I would ask her, well, why didn't you do it? And she would tell me, well, I was cooking for you. And I said, that's not an excuse. You know, <laughs> that stuff still had to be done. <laughs> it's funny. Uh, now, uh, my dad actually runs our India uh, office. So, you know, having family helps. Uh, there's yeah. definitely a lot of trust and I'm, I'm close to my parents. So it always is a good, I, I look up to my father as a uh, entrepreneur himself. And uh, that's where I get my ideas and my intelligence from because he's been a businessman all his life. Right. And uh, he speaks he speaks multiple languages. Yeah. So. So you came to the U.S. in what year? Just before 9-11, 2001. Okay. 8th August 2001 is when I landed here in upstate New York. And were you continuing to pursue your studies at yes. that time? Yes, I went to UB uh, to get a master's degree. That was the only college at the time that I could afford, being an out-of-state uh, tuition, sure. you know, it was expensive, and I had already earned my living by then because, uh, you know, the education was paid for by the work that I did between my age 15 and 19. Yeah. So I went to upstate New York, and uh, it was a fun experience, and ran away from the snow, came to Atlanta. Yeah, I was going to say, yep. you must have decided you preferred the warm climate. Yeah, I do. I mean, coming from Mumbai, yeah. it's always been hot and humid, so I definitely like this weather better than the cold. Oh, yeah, I- I'm with you there. And when you were studying for your master's um, in Buffalo, is that where you first became uh, really passionate about data and data analytics? Yeah, so um, it started in my final years of engineering. Uh, I, I am a mechanical engineer by trade, but the way mechanical engineering works in India, it's, it's pretty loose. They teach you pretty much everything from automobile all the way to computer science because they want to you to have a wide array of knowledge. Right, which and is great. So, exactly. And so yeah. when I came here, I naturally enrolled in mechanical engineering, but I did not want to do aerospace. I did not want to do the standard stuff everybody was doing. So I kind of started exploring different opportunities, and I came across an opportunity where it was a funded opportunity, so obviously that made a big difference why I went there, right? So they were going to pay for my tuition, they were going to pay me a stipend, dream come true. So I went and worked with the computer science department and the department of uh, architecture, and we did a research on universal design. We see the concept of universal design around us all the time. I mean, you see water fountains, there is always two. There is one high and one low, right? The concept of universal design basically says, can we combine that into one that could potentially go up and down as needed, right? So that's the whole concept of universal design. It's been around, uh, so my entire master's thesis, uh, at the time I actually wanted to pursue a PhD. But uh, So that's why I started a thesis, and it focused on anthropometry, which is uh, human body measurements. Mm -hmm. And how did human body measurements interact with real-life things like a chair, like a table? And and we focused on a specific group of individuals who had cerebral palsy. So they had limited reach, 
and limited grip strength. Okay. So taking the three-dimensional data uh, of their reach capabilities and taking the grip uh, strength data, adding that fourth dimension, really became difficult for these architects to design objects in 3D space. So they wanted me to develop a software, basically take this data in, in, in near real time, because we were constantly measuring people every day. Uh, right. And we would take this data in, we would run statistics on it, we would figure out who is the extremes and what d- needs to happen. And that project still continues. In fact, if you still... Does it really? It, it does. It's been 20 years now. And if you look at it, Dr. Paquette is still pursuing this project. It has been funded all this long. When That's I started, it, it was the first year. Yes. So we did not know if it would continue. And it right. has continued. There has been patents filed on it and so on and so forth. So... That's when I first got exposed to data, atypical data. So I have never focused on traditional data. Uh, It has always been something different, right? So there has to be a fourth dimension, fifth dimension to the data. So naturally, data seers is all about data, all about payments data, because payments data adds another dimension, which is the element of time and timing when it comes to settlements and uh, fraud catching and all of that. So that's what it was a natural progression. I had been yes. in the financial services industry, and okay, so that's going to ask how did you get into exactly. FinTech? So uh, you know, I've done a lot of different things. Uh, did some work with an animal health company. Did some work with a telecom company. Uh, all around analytics. Uh, my last eight or so years of uh, ten years maybe now has been focused on data in the financial services space. And that's where I found my calling, saying this is what I really, really like to do, and this is what I want to do. And that's where all of this started. That's a great story. Was there a, an interim period between when you got your master's and when you started Data Sears when you started any other businesses? I did. So um, I have always wanted to do my own business. But as you know, immigrants have a difficult uh, situation because you can't start your business until you get to a certain point in your immigration process. Right. right? You can't start a business on H-1B. You had to start a business until you got your green card. Yeah. So I actually took a risk uh, back in 2008 when my H-1B was in process and I had not gotten my green card yet, I just made a decision saying that, okay, I'm going to quit my job. I'm going to start my business. And if, you know, the immigration services have a problem with me starting a business and employing people, giving them jobs and, right. and, and, and paying more taxes than what I would have paid, then I'll deal with it. And luckily, uh, there is some clauses that allow you to do that. And it was a success story because never had an issue with my green card, never had an issue with my citizenship interview. They just asked me questions, and I was, I was like, this is what I did. And they were happy that you know, I was able to pursue my dream. Right. So I did and start. Jobs at the same exactly. Time. So my first business in the U.S. was in 2008 when the economy was crashing. And uh, I said, listen, if I have to take a risk, with a job, because I don't know if I'll be fired because my business owners might run out of money, then let me just invest in myself. Let me just trust myself. Let me do something on my own. At least I can control my own destiny. It's almost like saying, right, some people uh, like to be in the passenger seat, but some people like to be in the driver's seat. So I always like to be in the driver's seat. At least I can control what happens. So that's where uh, my first U.S.-based business started. And we had a small exit did a lot of good work and uh, you know came back to start a pearl and I think the I, I love the grind I love the climb I love the grind I love the uh, innovation that you know comes with startups so I don't think this will ever stop right it's it's always it's just, just a, keep, you know continue. back to square one back to square one yeah that's right that's right so the risk taking you mentioned that that seems to be a, a common trait amongst entrepreneurs yes. and I've heard you describe being an entrepreneur as being like a salmon swimming upstream, which I think is a great analogy. Can you elaborate on that? Yeah, so uh, 
all the businesses that I've started, right, they have come out at a point where I, you know, something just snapped and I said, I got to go do this, right? Yeah. I didn't care about the economy. I didn't care about what happened around because I believe in a simple thing, right? So all of my businesses have been organically grown. We have never had external funding. That gives you a different perspective in mind saying that I'm only going to spend what I can spend because that's all the money I have. It's like running a household. If you earn $100 a week, you've got to manage in $100. If you earn $1,000 a week, you've got to manage in $1,000. Right, you cannot keep go and, on a budget. Exactly, you've got yeah. to stay on a budget. And, and that's how all the businesses have been, and that has helped us because in 2008, when the economy went down, our business grew from 2008 throughout every single year. This year, when the economy started going down because of COVID, a lot of people struggled. We continued to grow during this time. Uh, the, the only reason was we have had a very strategic plan. We have a very sound plan. We don't recruit people that we don't need. I don't believe in hiring and firing. Uh, we want to make sure that we make the right investment in the person and, and help them grow with the company. All of those things, right? Yes, there are risks that you take as an entrepreneur, but those are also learnings, right? I have been a part of a business that failed before. I was an employee, but I was able to watch that business fail very closely, and I was able to take notes of everything that went wrong. And any entrepreneur learns from their mistakes before, right? Yes. So I, I keep telling people that, uh, you know, I'm a wanderpreneur, not an entrepreneur, because, you know, unless you have a big bang exit of a multi-billion dollars, right, it makes no sense. But that's just my personal goal. The the key is, it's not a risk. It's it's a decision you make, right? Nobody makes a risky decision knowing that they're going to fail. Right. So you whenever all, you make, always think you're going to exactly. Succeed. So whenever you, you make a decision, you got to back it up. You can't be impulsive, and that's what doing this over a few times teaches you. That you know you can make an impulsive decision. You got to sit back. Sometimes it hurts you. Sometimes it helps you. Sometimes it hurts you because you might take too long about some decision, and you might lose that opportunity. But you know what? In some cases, that is better than not. Like, I'll give you a simple example. We wanted to pursue our expansion into Singapore this year, right? Everything was planned. Everything was ready to go. And as news started coming out of COVID-19, we said, you know what? It's probably smart not even go there, not even do anything. So we shelved it. We said, we'll pick it back up in 2021, right? And, and it worked great for us because had I done it and had I gone and invested that money, it, we would not have seen the ROI. We would have to probably leave, and, and some employees might have gotten stuck. Right. Right. So you make a decision. You always hope for the best and plan for the worst. And I'll, I'm, I'm one of those guys who has plan A, B, C, D, E. So you know, I just have so many different plans that <laughs> if one doesn't planner. work, here you go. Okay. Yeah. Exactly. On to the next one. Exactly. On to the next one. And data series, uh, as we discussed, is in the fintech space. Yes. Can you describe a little bit more about what exactly data series business consists Absolutely. of? Absolutely. So we are focused in a niche, right? As payments is growing, and especially what happened in the past six months or so where payments went largely digital, right? right? When that happens, a lot of new stuff comes around, right? So fraud patterns change, compliance issues come up. Uh, if you go to krebsonsecurity.com and read how the Nigerian ring exploited the unemployment fraud this year, right? Uh, according to him, there is uh, hundreds of millions of dollars lost because somebody just claimed unemployment digitally and they got the money because there was no actual verification, physical verification, right? So we focus on the digital payment space. We focus on a very specific market called prepaid, and we try to harness that data and we, in short, torture that data to tell us the truth. So we use that data to reconcile. 
in real time. We use that data to fight fraud. We use that data to fly, fight compliance issues such as money laundering, drug, drug trafficking, human trafficking, amongst others. And we also use the same data to actually drive marketing analytics. So it's almost that it's the same data source, but four different uh, scopes for different uh, visions. And you developed the software in, in your company? Absolutely. So th it was a ground-up uh, software that we developed from scratch. That, that's fantastic. Congratulations on that. Let's talk briefly. I know we're almost out of time here. Let's talk briefly about your revenue over the past year. What's that looked like? Absolutely. So we have, just this year alone, we have grown every month about 25% month over month. We are adding more customers. In the past eight months, we have seen more influx of revenue, clients, and employees that we have in the past couple of years because we had planned 2020 to be big and we did not change our plans and it's still going to be our best year, but we have pretty much grown the company doubled every year since we started. So 27 to 2017 to 18, 18 to 19, and 19 to 20, even with COVID-19, we will easily double our revenues this year. Congratulations. What about uh, next year and down the road? What's the game plan? So, uh, of course, as companies grow, we talk about funding. Should we go ahead and look for external funding? Should we start preparing for an IPO when the time is right? So there's a lot of thought process going on. Um, you know, we might, we might go get funding uh, right now because we have gone past the traditional funding route. You know, we don't need one or two or three million dollars anymore. Right. We're going to look for a much bigger expansion, much bigger strategy. And that helps us as, uh, you know, owners, directors, advisors, and people who have options in the company protects their interests because the more you delay the funding, um, better bang for the buck you get. That's right. That's right. So growth this year, next year, 2022, it's all about growth. It's all about sales. It's all about, you know, growing, growing, and growing. And you have how many employees today? About 30 now. That's tremendous, because I remember when you were in here, employee number one. Yeah, employee number one. Actually, that's true. That's why we got it. Exactly. Yes, yes. About, about 18, 18 months, uh, less than two years ago, we were three people. Yes. Yeah. And we have this, this growth has come in the last one, one and a half years. Well, serial entrepreneur, startup success story, Adwait Joshi, CEO and founder of Data Sears. Thank you so much for joining us, Adwait, and sharing your story with us today. Thank you for having me.